0: In a city, lead through it in the church and outside of the church, but then also discipleship. We have everything from discipling college students um, to discipling youth, discipling children, discipling men, discipling women, discipling homosexuals. Um, now, don't look at me funny. Acting like that sin is the worst sin on the planet, um, because we have people in the church that wrestle with homosexuality, and, 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 and we, need to, uh, we need to challenge the lifestyle Uh, But as they wrestle through their desires, we need to be discipling Christians who become a believer. Because how many of you know when you become a Christian, all your desires don't go away? You just have strength to fight. Or y'all going to look at me funny because y'all think homosexuality is different. Well, you struggle with fornication. Well, I ain't done it when you thought it. We struggle with pride. Does that eject us from savability? No. The, no. No, no. The, the Bible talks about our wrestle. And so we must, we, I think what we want to do with this is we really want to not affirm a lifestyle that's unbiblical, but we do want to acknowledge the struggle and stop making homosexuals lepers in their struggle. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. Uh, but, but engage in what it means to build an environment where somebody can confess that they wrestle with same-sex attraction, and we can be community and love for them as we not, like any other sin, let anybody remain where they are but call them beyond where they are. It's the Amen's light. It's okay. Last thing we're going to talk about is mission, which I'm excited about, and, um, and, and just how to engage and take responsibility where we live and dwell um, for the gospel through uh, engaging our neighbors, our friends, uh, our co-workers, and then how to b- how, how, how to build uh, massive opportunities to engage people with the renewing power of the gospel. So I'm excited about that. Um, last but not least, uh, you know, um, be- because of our growth in both of our gatherings, we've had to go to two gatherings for, I mean, three gatherings <laughs> um, for quite some time. And so November, November, November 9th, we're going to a third gathering. Uh, it's going to be at 5.30 p.m. Amen. Yeah, Amen. It's going to be at 5.30 p.m. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Some people said they wanted an 8 o'clock gathering. And we, as we, we, when elders and different leaders began to pray and talk about it and even talk about it with different people in the congregation, it would have been great if we did the 18 and 12. It would have been convenient, but it would have only been for who's here. Right. And we wanted to engage, n- not just make another place for who's here, but make a place for who's not here. And so we keep lifting that uh, gathering up for those who, Get up a little later on Sunday, amen. Um, um, engage them and uh, offer them the opportunity to come. Your unchurched, unsaved friends, they can come as well, and we're excited about the opportunity to make more room in what God has called us to do, all right? Well, let's stand to our feet, and let's get in the text. We're um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 34. Uh, we will finish today these, the, these verses um, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go ahead through these and dive into what God has to say to us about it. First Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, verse 19. You guys go ahead and start on three. One, two, three. Go. Yeah. Amen. Um, Continuing from last week, we want to talk about taking church gatherings seriously. Taking church gatherings seriously. Let's pray. Father, um, we come before you because we get to gather. We get to gather publicly, and that is an honor and a blessing. Yet we have brothers and sisters around the world who don't have the same opportunity. Uh, We have brothers and sisters in different countries, that are being massacred in their gatherings, Um, massacred just because they named the name of Jesus Christ. And even reading some stories and hearing some stories, in the past week, Lord God, some missionaries decided to stay in a country where they've been called to flee. And they said, we're going to stay because we led these people to Christ and we want to remain here to see them be established in the faith, even though uh, people's children are being snatched out of their homes and massacred because of the faith. And God, I'm praying today in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God, for them. God, we pray your strength on them. We pray your grace on them, Lord God. And we pray that you would count them worthy of the calling with which they've been called, God. And we pray that they would bear up and not fall away from the faith and confess another faith, Lord God, in order to save their lives. But would you preserve their life even, yet, yet and, and, and give them the, the 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 peace that you gave the the Thessalonian church in First Second uh, Thessalonians verses. Uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 10, where you affirm the challenge that they were going through and, and let them know that God is doing a work in them and strengthening them. But we do ask that you would retract the persecution in the persecution and help those of ISIS or whomever they are, Lord God, to be engaged with the gospel and to help them to be rocked that, that people are willing to give their lives because their life, a life was given for them. And may those who persecuted Christians be like Paul and said, man, I didn't know what I was doing. And may they repent and sackcloth off in ashes and come to the Lord Jesus. And in the same videos where they behead people, may they in the same videos proclaim the excellencies and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ for your namesake. And so what is that for us, God? Let it be for us that, God, we take our gathering seriously. We get to be here without anybody coming in. And doing anything to us so help us to have the embodiment of that reality let the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight oh god our strength our redeemer in whom we trust help us to not just be hearers of the word deceiving ourselves but help us to be doers in jesus name amen amen you may be seated um it's interesting um that that so much in our society uh, our, our society is a gathering culture um you know, if if, 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 it's a, if if it's a birthday party, <clears throat> if you have a birthday party and a bunch of people come over, there's an expectation that there's going to be a cake. Uh-huh. That there, there, there's, there's an expectation that there's going to be some gifts. There's an expectation that somebody's going to sing happy birthday to somebody. Now, if, if, if those three things don't happen at the birthday party at some point in time, the person whose birthday party is going to feel a way about that. In other way, in, in other words, because of that gathering, there is an expectation of what that gathering is going to be like. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not 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 only, not only that. If there's going to be a Super Bowl party, you know, they, they you got to have some wings, you got to have some pizza, uh, you got to have some other thing, popcorn, and all different types of things. Um, the connection has to work. There has to be a big screen TV. Nowadays, it can't be a tube TV. It's got to be a HD fat screen TV, flat screen TV, wide, and then hopefully some surround sound, and then a nice, comfortable place for people to sit down and watch the game. I mean, getting ready for a game in Philly is, I watch, you know, the fans, it's like a ritual to get ready for a a, a game. I mean, people, people, build. I mean, I know churches that build when they're going to have their church services around Philadelphia games. I know churches that move their service times from 11 o'clock to 9 o'clock until the football season is over because of people's seriousness about gathering for football games. It bewilders me that people will do so much in so many different type of gatherings to take their experience seriously, to take their enjoyment seriously, but then when it comes to the gathering of the saints where Christ died on the cross for you, took care of you and brought you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your marvelous son. People have to build things around you to make you be thankful for the fact that Jesus Christ came and call you to a gathering of saints with him. The greatest gathering on earth is not a football game, it's not a sports bar. it's not a fight night, it's not a basketball game, it's not not, not even a, a, a birthday party. The greatest by God's grace, the greatest gathering of people is the gathering of saints around Jesus Christ. There shouldn't be any, there, there, there should be just a real, real seriousness about the gathering to the point that David even talks about how he wants to enter the courts and the gates with a certain disposition that comes from his expectation to enjoy God with the saints. So we come to a passage where Paul, jamming up um, the Corinthian church, and he's in a section where he's challenging them on how they gather. Um, in, in chapters 11 through 14, he challenges their gatherings and how they come together to worship the living God together. And so, and, so, and so we saw last time, as we went through verses 17 and 18, we, we extracted the point that church gatherings are meant to, f- spiritual, uh, uh, to spiritually form Christians, to spiritually form Christians. Christians. And then we're picking up this week on the point we stopped off of last week, where church crisis exposes who the serious and authentic are. All right. And so in verse 19, he says, and there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And so we saw last week that what happens many times in the church is that a church will go through a crisis. And when the church goes through a crisis, It is a time in which God sovereignly ordains, because it says you must go through um, uh, 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 factions or rips and tears in the body so that you can see who's serious about the gospel and who's not serious about the gospel. Now, the seriousness is not just about uh, a ministry, it's about your heart. In other other words, it's it's God saying, are you really as serious about me as you say you are? And what I'm going to do is trouble always tells you who's, who's on board with God, not on board with the pastor, because the pastor ain't always right. Oh, y'all not going to say nothing to me. Y'all quiet, but that's okay. The first service gave me a little more help, so I, my, 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 my ego is okay right now in Jesus' name. But I'm just telling you right now that, 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 that God sovereignly appoints things in your life to challenge your life. Now, 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 as much as this happened, as real as this is in the church, it's real in your soul. What you go through is for God to show you where you're genuinely for him and when you're genuinely against him. And and so every test is to get you on board with God, not on board with a team, not on board with a clique, not on board with a faction, not on board with an entourage, but on board with the living God. And in getting on board with the living God, you have to wrestle with yourself. Now, in wrestling with yourself, that means you have to be honest with yourself about where you are and where you're not when God shows it up, when the hell breaks loose in your life. Y'all ain't talking about it's okay. What does this have to do with communion? Everything. Because communion was meant to be a time where believers paused and did this for themselves. In other words, communion during church gatherings for centuries was supposed to be a time, and we'll see in a minute, where believers paused. And begin to deliver into their soul and work in their soul the idea of, are God and I on the same page? I need to pause and see where I am in relation to what God wants to do in and through me, but for his glory and for his honor and his praise. And so Paul goes down to verse 20. He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Uh, is it, uh, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. It's interesting. Here... Uh, it's, it's beautiful to talk about this idea of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted in the Gospels when Jesus wanted the believers to remember him. That's key. Jesus, and he'll say it later in this passage, wants believers to remember him. The challenge with many of our lives is our lives is always needing to be put in a position to remember the person and work of Christ. And everything in your life is built around the reality of remembering him and not forgetting him. I'll give you an example. You know, um, you know when, when somebody offends you, and, um, and, and you kind of like, let's see if I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> see? See, you begin, you're meditating on how you want to clock somebody, right? So in other words, you're like, I, if, I wasn't, if I wasn't in my sanctified self, like there's another self out there somewhere, I thought that self was crucified anyway. But if I was in myself, I'd have, boy, I'd have to, but you know, I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. In, 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 in other words, remembering Christ is being forced into remembering who he is so that your identity may continuously be identified with who he is and what he does so that you can walk more deeply with him. Am I by myself in here today? I'm just asking because it's very, very important that that be a piece of that. And so communion for the believer is a pause for that. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a pause for us and because most of us, we, we, many of us like shouting and that type of thing, but 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 he wants some monastic meditation here for us to be able to be into. Jesus Christ says something powerful um, in, in John chapter 6. He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood, you, will, you won't have any part from me. And they didn't understand what he meant by that. But he was talking about union with Christ. Somebody say union with Christ. The doctrine of union with Christ is, to, is the beauty of God drafting us on the team through Christ curtaining us with his blood and cleaning us with his blood so that we can be united with him fully so that we can sit with him and be with him forever. And so communion is a picture of that reality over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but I can have a juvenile or a, a, a adolescent philosophy in my praxis. So I need God to continue to remind me. I have to tell my children stuff a thousand times sometimes. Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Over and over and over and over again. And I'm like that myself. God, I, communion is God reminding you. It is it, it, a reminder. Everybody, I don't care how much you think you've grown and how much you've done, you need a continuous reminder of the goodness of the gospel to put you back on track with remembering, oh, it's, it's all about him, right? Oh, yeah. Even though that's simple, it's easy to forget. It's very, very easy to forget. So, 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 so Jesus Christ instituted this idea of communion. Now, Paul does something great. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to begin to challenge the very specific issue that they're dealing with in Corinth. Look at verse 21. He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. He said, one goes, hung- one goes hungry and another gets drunk. Now, in, in their day, um, when Jesus came, the hope was that when, when, when Christ preached in the synagogues and when Paul came and those guys went and engaged and they ministered in the synagogues, that they would come to Jesus Christ as Savior, and those would be church plants automatically, right? But what happened, we know that there was rejection. And so what happened is with the rejection of the authorities and the rejection um, in their culture, because there was persecution, believers didn't, they didn't have building programs back then, okay? And so what they did was they met in homes. And so as they met in homes and, 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 and things like that, in Corinth you had ballers, you had financial ballers on all kinds of cakeology and cheddar, all right? And so, because they, I mean, fat cribs, whole nine, you had poor people, not as fat cribs. I mean, they got, what you know, they call it a Delta shotgun house. See, I don't know nothing about that up here. But you know, in this Delta down south, they got shotgun houses. That means you can shoot a gun right through it because you can see the back door from the front door because of how small it is, and it's only one room house, boom, right? In Corinth, they I mean, they had palace-type cribs, you know what I'm saying? So they were Christians that were well-to-do, that thought that their identity outside the church equated their identity inside the church. And so what they began to do was they say, since I'm important out there and more important than people out there, then when I come in the body of Christ, my importance is to be exalted because I'm better than you out there equals me being better than you here. And so then what happened was, is they would have atriums. They had atriums. It's like, you know what I'm saying, Tony Montana on Scarface. The atrium joint when you walk in this house, I had to stay away, to cacao it up and everything. Marble. They had a nice, nice little open area. Then they had a small dining room, a few dining rooms in their home. So what would happen is, is when believers would gather together, everybody would come in. But then the rich who owned the house would only invite their rich friends into the area where the food is and because they had love feasts. And when believers got together, they broke bread together, had meals together. So they had communion, they had preaching, um, they had the spiritual gifts going forth. The whole nine was going on in, in this spot. But what would happen is, is when it was time for the Eucharist or communion, they would have their boys... And and, 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 and and their friends over off in the back part and, and all of the um all of the poor people would be out in the atrium area and so what would happen was is Paul is challenging them because people would be back there and the and the communion would get mixed up with what they were just drinking and so there was no distinction between a personal meal and the Lord's meal. And because of that it pointed to a heart issue. It pointed to a heart issue where they thought gatherings was about what they get, not what God has done. And when you relate to the body of Christ like that, you want to be distinct because you want to come in and have your needs met only. It's about us, not me. And so what Paul began to do is challenge them on the fact that there can't be distinction. into what I don't care what side of the railroad track you come from, none of us are better than the other person. I don't care how much money you got on the outside of here, it don't matter in here. I don't care how little money, the, the, in other words, the person on public assistance is, is no less of a person than a person that has a multi-million dollar business. Because see, even, even the slave church understood this reality. Because a lot of people look at the traditional church and they put their, look down on some of the things that the traditional church does, but you got to recognize what it was like for a slave going to church. A slave going to church, that was the only place where they had dignity. That's why they are a lot of titles. That's why they dress up. Because they didn't get to dress up during the week necessarily. So, so the church was even ground for everybody to have a sense of dignity. That, that's why you're going to be deacon something or reverend something or, you know, all of those. Because that's the only time. they're Brother, that's why the old church, they call each other Brother Tommy, Sister Fatima. To, 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 to humanize you because the church was the only place where your humanity was affirmed. And, and, and in, other, in, other, in other words, when, when you come to church, we're, we're all born in the image of God. Listen, we're supposed to be affirming one another. And communion is the reminder and a pause for that. That's that and, and that's very, very important <coughs> for us to begin to remember is, is that there can't be distinction and, and, and clickism and value of people just because they're more like us. Yeah. See, see, see that the reason why I like... Having a multi-ethnic church is because you get to see your blind spots. <laughs> see when you get you get to see, so you get to see your blind. See I, that means I just repented of something this morning. Somebody said, "Pastor, this offended me." I had to repent. You know why? Because I have cultural blind spots that will violate the equality that Christ brought us into. And so, therefore, coming to the gathering of the saints and being around believers. It is to have your grid challenged and have it recentered on the gospel so that you're not equating your value outside the body inside the body. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so Paul is trying to challenge us and reaffirm this reality over and over and over again. Why? Because our tendency is to base our value on someone, something, and something else besides remembering Jesus. You and I are gonna to have to be reminded. Over and over and over again that our identity is in Christ. Over and over again. You're going to forget that. You're going to, you, you and I will be tempted over and over and over again to find our identity in our work. To find our identity in our relationships. To find your identity in what kind of car you drive. Find your identity in what kind of gear you got. Find your identity for being the first person to get in line and get the joys before everybody else and buy them up and be able to put them on eBay. Finding your identity. Finding your identity in that. And you got in the gathering is to remind you that there's flat ground, all of us are the same, and we should be valuable to one another because we're first valuable to God. (coughs) That's why you should have a lifestyle. (coughs) That's why you should have a lifestyle of gathering with the saints. Because the Bible says we need to exhort each other while it's still day. Okay? And that's why it causes nothing to forsake. So so Paul is. Paul is helping us beautifully with this, to not mismanage our gatherings together. Look at what he says next in verse 22. He says, what? He said, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He said, use your gatherings differently. He said, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? He says, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? He says, no, I will not. And so, he, again, he's challenging that whole idea and building on that. Last point, and I'm out of your way. If we want to take gatherings seriously, last but not least, we have to, we have to um, uh, know this. Serious gatherings take the gospel seriously. Serious gatherings take the gospel seriously. Now, someone will ask, and, and I'm, I'm going to break this down. Someone will ask, why do we talk about the gospel so much? Because you never get beyond it. I, I want us to recognize is the gospel is not something that you get over because you said a sinner's prayer. I want you to meditate on that. Because many of us think, oh, I went to heaven, and then I just want somebody at my funeral to just put me in heaven. Okay? In other words, the, the gospel, is, it justifies you and saves you, but it continues your faith. So what, is, what he's trying to do is continue to help them to apply the principles of the gospel in their life by having a time where they med- meditate on their connection to it. Look at what he says. He says, he begins the communion process. He went from just community speaking <laughs> to now duck-goosing duck them, if you will, talking to them individually yet collectively. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, for I receive, <coughs> I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He said, I ain't making nothing new. Always get concerned when a preacher telling you something new. If it's new, it ain't true. On, ain't nothing new under the sun. I gotta, somebody got to chill down their spine and making up something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this, 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 this ain't the rap booth. You know what I'm saying? This the church, the book, right? Making up something new and you an innovator. If I become an innovator, y'all get rid of me. Because I should be saying what's been said over the centuries. Not making up nothing new. No offense to my brothers who rap. I'm, not, I'm just using it as an example, so don't hit me up, all right? Love you. <laughs> um, he said, verse 23, he says, he says, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. He said, I received this, so I'm just telling you what we've been saying. Like, what the, like in, in other words, Jesus said, teach what I taught. That's all I'm, now, you know. See, this is how you know. Listen, you shouldn't go to a church. You shouldn't be a part of a guy where they, where they think they came on the scene and recreated the church. The Bible said, I deliver, I'm telling you what was taught me. Now, now, some of us want some deepness. You know what I'm saying? It is deep enough if you get into it. Hallelujah. Anyway, he said, I he said what I've received from the Lord, amen, is what I deliver to you that the Lord Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, I like, let me just pause here parenthetically. You ain't the first person that's been betrayed. I I know, I mean, let me just tell you that. I don't know who that was for. But Jesus got betrayed, and so you can bear up under your betrayal because he bore up under his and strengthen you to be betrayed and still walk with him. All right, if he can cling to a cross by being betrayed by his creation and being nailed to his creation, by his creation, hung up by his creation, and bleeding out of his creation. Jesus was betrayed at the molecular level. Help me today. So, so, so he, say, he took the bread. <laughs> Let me just say something here. Like... He knew one of his boys was going to betray him and does communion with him. Oh, that's crazy. Anyway, salah. <laughs> Verse 24, that's bananas to me. Gospel, right? that's the gospel, though. Verse 24, he says, And when <coughs> he had given thanks in front of them, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he said, in verse 25, he says, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this is my cup. This uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so what Jesus is letting us know is he's pointing back to Ezekiel 31. He's pointing back to, I mean, not Ezekiel 31, Jeremiah 21 and Ezekiel 36 in which the new covenant was to be born. So so now he's pointing out that the covenant that he's making through his death and resurrection is an eternal covenant. It's an unending covenant. That that means that when you trust Christ, you can't untrust him. There's no such thing as I was a Christian. I, I don't even get that. You know, when you trust Christ, it's a new and everlasting covenant. That means it's eternal life. If you could lose your salvation, it was temporal life. I remember a Muslim told me. He said, "Man, I used to be a Christian." I said, "That's impossible." He said, "What you mean?" I said, "I said religious transference is not the same of being born again. Being born again is way deeper than just joining something." Being born again means you're changed from the inside. I said you may have went to church, but you were never a believer. I said it's impossible for you to say I was under Christ. That's that's because this is eternal life, not temporal life. That was for free. Let me keep going. Verse 25. He says in the same way to the cup, the new. Uh, he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you drink it. Uh, as you drink it in remembrance of me. He said, he wants you to remember me. So Christ's blood was the means by which we came into a relationship with God. And so so right here, in 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 this section, right here he says in verse 26, he says, for as often as you eat it, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love this. When we have communion, and that's why we do it every Sunday, we want to proclaim, preach the Lord's death. Because when we preach the Lord's death, we remind ourselves of what he's done for us. Now, it's powerful because a few, uh, it, and I've seen people come to Christ after during communion. I remember I had a guy, some of you may remember who have been here for a while. It was a Jewish cat from Temple used to go here. He came in, he was, it was weird because he was a hipster. So I saw the little skinny jeans on, van, sneakers, no socks, you know, um, little tank top, you know in um, the little twirly twirl johns. I don't know what they are, what they call them, you know, but he had those letting us know he was Jewish. He would always bring his bike in, single speed bike, mag wheels, you know what I'm saying, and, the, and, and you ride the bike like that, right? Single speed and the handlebars real close. Y'all know, don't act like y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all seen people riding on Fairmont looking like that. And so, and so, and I, I, I love it, I love it. And so, and so, and so check it out. And so check it out. Money came up to me after he'd been coming for a minute. He wanted us to know he wasn't a Christian. One day he comes up to me, he says, pastor, Um, I'm talking about Jewish, Jewish dude, right? Comes up to me and says, man, I think I just trusted Christ. (coughs) I said, what you mean? He said, well, I've been coming, like, I've been been coming here for a minute, and you know I'm a Jew. I said, yep. He said, and I will always leave before communion. He said, because, like, y'all eating blood and drinking blood and eating. He said, for us, that's, we don't, that's blasphemy. You know what I'm saying? He said, but I decided this one day. To stay, just to see what it was like, and he said, and the communion plate went past. That's where we used to break the the the, the bread, the, uh, the, the um, not the bread, but the cracker jones. Yeah, we had a big yeah. And he, he said, he said the saltines, yeah. The, the, they're the holy saltines though, yeah, <laughs> holy saltine. <laughs> and, so, and so and so money come in, right? Come up to me. He said and the plate went past, and he said, and I saw matzah. I said unleavened bread. He said yes. And he said, then it all made sense to me. He said, I thought about feast of bulls and tabernacles, Yom Kippur, Passover. He said, before me, I saw all of the rituals that I did pointing to Jesus Christ. And see, 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 we are to proclaim. That's why this is a sacred time. Um, And that's why we ask unbelievers not to partake of it if you don't know him, right? That's very, very important. Verse 27, he said, whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and body of our Lord. Now, this word unworthy is interesting. It, 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 It literally means not to treat something based on its character, Okay? In, other, in other words, to misinterpret the character. In other words, that doesn't stand up, that doesn't look properly. Now, what's weird about this, and what I struggle with exegetically, family, is how do you take something that you're not worthy of in the first place in an unworthy manner? Uh. Does that make sense? I mean, in other words, he said, don't take it in an unworthy manner, but we're not worthy anyway. Now, somebody said, well, I don't receive it, I'm not worthy. Hold on. Just... <laughs> It don't matter if you receive it. You didn't buy salvation, did you? No. So you're not worthy of salvation. He's worthy, okay? So since he's worthy, to take it in a worthy manner is to acknowledge that you don't take communion with Christ on your own merit. In other words, you don't deserve to take it. That's how you deserve to take it. In, 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 other words, in other words, you can't take the communion in a worthy way until you acknowledge that you're a mess. you yeah. ain't gonna talk back. Until you acknowledge that you're broken. Yeah. In, in, until you acknowledge that you're in desperate need of him. And until you acknowledge your need for Christ, you won't be worthy. Yeah. What makes you worthy in God, because he's opposed to proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so in life, he, in other words, you're made worthy, and you recognize that by your brokenness. And so when it comes around, that's why we broke it, yeah. Yeah. to look at our brokenness. Because he wasn't broke on the cross because his bones weren't broken. So what is the brokenness about? About us breaking it, looking at his skin being torn and us needing to be broken. His, He didn't need to be broken. We needed to be broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You look at it and you... <coughs> you're taking the communion, you're not just taking it, you know, going past, waiting mm. to the time, cat calf, mm, and then go away. <laughs> That's not what communion is about. Communion is about pausing. Pausing. And I'm not talking about having a pity party at the Lord's table. Oh, you know, I'm not, I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about recognizing that you wouldn't be your, where you are without him. What does he do? He, he goes down further. He says, let a person examine himself, and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. I like this. And he goes down, and he begins to talk about us discerning things and being disciplined because we don't take it properly. But let's look at examine, because I want to close on this idea of examining. What we're supposed to do, something I missed from um, the church where I was discipled. And I want us to do today as the men get in position um, um, to hand out the elements. Th- there was a time when, and they had it earlier in the gathering where they would do communion. We do communion every week. But examining is to scrutinize where you are, e- examining yourself is to see in your life where you need to repent seeing in your life where, where, where you need God to encourage you in the faith to be strengthened by what Christ has done for you. All of those examining parts of that. And so, and so what we would do in our gatherings is people, when they would get the communion cup, Pop would do it differently at different times, and sometimes people would just come up spontaneously to the front and kneel during the communion time. Um, um, some, some people would, some, uh, some, some, some families would come up, the entire family, would come up together with their communion together. Fathers would put their arm around their son and would go to the front. The image of that was beautiful. Single moms would come up with their children, grandmothers with their children, grandpops, single folk going up alone to meditate and to think through and to examine and to remember him, remember him, and and, and not let the cup going past be just something we just say we got it out of the way. But I rem- I, I, I'm, I'm walking away with a commitment to remember Jesus in every single area of my life. And that's what I want us to do as the men come and we pass out the elements. You can just go straight and pass those elements out. But what I want us to do is, so as you get the elements, which we call them the elements, they're not his literal body and blood. Um, we don't believe in transubstantiation, we don't believe in that. We believe that they're symbols of what he's done. Communion is a celebration. We don't believe that it's turned into his literal body and blood. But we do mean it's a symbol for those who celebrate the Super Bowl of the cross. Super Bowl was a championship match. <laughs> but there were nobody there but Christ being the champion over our sin. Being the champion in taking on God's wrath for us. And so as you grab the elements, if you're, if you're, if you're not a believer, we ask that you would let the, let the elements pass and instead of taking the symbol of who Jesus is, take him as Savior. And as you think about it, I want you to think about your week. Think about your need for Christ. Meditate on relationships that need to be reconnected in your life. Meditate on strongholds that you're dealing with right now, that you want Christ to take care of. See, one of the things about chameleon is we're supposed to see things as they truly are. See him in his holiness as he truly is, and to see ourselves, to see ourselves in where we truly are. And we want to continue to meditate on the reality that we're found in him and found in him alone. And so if we could just continue to distribute those, and as you get them, and I'm going to grab them myself. And so, God, today we want to remember Jesus Christ, our rose of Sharon, (laughs) our life, the living word, (laughs) the word made flesh. The cosmic king, the resurrected king, the sovereign Lord, the ruler of all creation, (laughs) the key of David, (laughs) the key of David, Lord, (laughs) to unlock all of the promises of yours, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. He is also, he's also life and death, Lord God. He's also our intercessor, which he lives to make intercession for us. He's our Adam. He's our advocate. He's almighty. He's alpha and omega. He's amen. He's the angel, the angel of his presence. He's the anointed. He's the great apostle. He's the arm of the Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginning and end of creation. He's the beloved bishop. (laughs) He's the blessed and true potentate. (laughs) He's the branch. He's the bread of life. He's the bridegroom. He's the bright morning star. He's the captain of the Lord's army. He's the carpenter. He's the child. He's the chief shepherd. He's the Christ. He's the king. He's Lord. He's the cornerstone. He's counselor. He's the day star. He's the day spring. He's the deliverer. He's the door. He's Emmanuel. He's the eternal life. He's everlasting father. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the firstborn. He's the foundation, He's the fountain, he's the forerunner, He's the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He's the gift of God. He's the glory of Israel. He's the God blessed forever. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the head of the church. He's the heir of all things. He's the high priest. He's the head of everything. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the cornerstone. He's the holy child Jesus. He's the holy one. He's the I am. He is I am God. He's Jehovah fellow. He's Jesus Christ. He's just man. He's just one. He's just Lord. He's just person. He's just grace. He's just mercy. He's just might. He's just justice. He's just, he's everything. He's the true vine. He's our sanctuary. He's the root of Jesse. He's our propitiation. He's our mediator. He's the true light that comes into the world. He's the Lord of lords. He's the sure stone. He's the unspeakable gift. He is the good witness. He's the wisdom of God. He's our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. (laughs) He's the ruler of Israel. He's our sanctification. (laughs) He's the minister of the sanctuary. He's most holy. He's the offspring of David. And He's our Passover. So on the night that he was betrayed, this Savior, this Savior took the bread, and he broke it. (laughs) And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal, he took the cup, and he gave it to his disciples and said, he raised it up, he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and many for the remission of sins. If you trusted Christ as your Savior and know that your blood-bought Why don't you drink with me? Father God, we want to take our gatherings seriously. Not because just getting together in and of itself is important. But we want to take our walk with you seriously. We want to live for you and ultimately that means taking you seriously. And so, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, will you dismiss us in your care? Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, our God and Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Love on somebody you didn't come with. Continue in the spirit of worship.